0: Life with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Let's talk electricity and the Australian electricity grid. Now, the grid is the big complex system of poles and wires and other infrastructure, those giant uh, steel towers that you see marching over distant hills and dales, getting power to all our homes and businesses. When it comes to efficiency and reliability of power being transported across this vast country, Of extraordinary distances to reach populations far and wide, could we do better? I'm sure the answer is yes, but as we look to the future, a future with renewable energy at the heart of it, are these 20th century poles and wires fit for purpose? Or is it time to modernise our electricity grid and make a big national investment in the new transport technology that is superconductors to move us into the 21st century? We hear a lot of talk, don't we, about how we need to improve the capacity of the grids, and so on. We hear a lot more talk about renewable sources of power, but as I say, not so much about what is the network that's going to contain and deliver all of this juice. Joining us is Professor Ian McKinnon. He's Director of the Centre for Clean Energy Technologies and Practices at Queensland's University of Technology, and he's done a lot of work in this space. Uh, Ian, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Hi, good evening. How are you? You, apparently, that's a lot, isn't it? 10% of all electricity, electricity within the grid alone, is just lost. Where does it it go?
1: Well, it goes to heat, basically. Um, Copper wires, just like aluminium wires, and most people know that conductors are not perfect. They do have uh, resistance to electrons going from one part of the wire to the other. And um, that's pretty standard... um, well-known being uh, V equals IR. It's Mm. an equation you would have learnt in high school. Right. Um, And R is that resistance. So let's take your normal uh, household uh, outlet, which is uh, 240 volts. Let's say it's 10 amps. Then there's 24 um, uh, levels of resistance, ohms of resistance. Yes, I forgot the the units for that, sorry. Mm. So that's one. One uh, one issue that's been around for a long time, but what has been happening is people over design in order to counter that. Now, in complex networks or extensive networks, the losses could actually be even higher, up mm. to thirty percent. Tell me how the grid works. When we we use this word, the grid, and <coughs> mm-hmm.
0: and it probably means what everything from the electricity. Uh, pole outside our house all the way mm-hmm. back to the massive substations and, and generating s- s- stations we see at, at power stations. That's correct. T- t- tell us how, how it works. What, trace trace the journey for us from, from, a, <laughs> from a power station. What, what, what happens?
1: Well, historically, I'll just put it in a more general sense. Um, historically, we've tended to centralise the power generation. Mm. So we centralise within, for example, in Queensland, there's probably about three or four uh, coal-fired power stations sited where there are coal mines, for example, right, right there where the deposits are. Mm. Same thing in Newcastle and in the Hunter Valley. Same in Victoria. Or, or Same wise. in Victoria, that's mm. correct. Yeah, mm. exactly. So that's... And, and what then happens is, uh, is that's generated there and it's... Um, um, <clears throat> the electrons from the
0: <clears throat> uh,
1: turbines are, are pumped up to a pretty high voltage.
0: How high? Um, How high? <clears throat>
1: Two hundred and seventy-five or five hundred kV kilovolts. Uh, This was five hundred thousand volts. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. In order to to transmit it, or in the transmission system uh, across the country, long distances. And this was part of the debate of the Tesla Edison days. You know, what what's the best way to transmit electrons long distances? Hmm. And we have to remember that the demographics of the days of Tesla and Edison are very different to the demographics of today. But Australia is a bit of an unusual world uh, country in that we we have urban, tightly packed urban environments and long distances between them, mm. somewhat similar to what yeah, used to be the case back in the, in the early 19th 20th century. However, um, that's changing, uh, where we um, we we distribute. Some people will know in the in the western part of. Uh, our country, uh, and also in the uh, western part of Queensland, Western New South Wales, that those electrons get a little bit um, wonky as they get further and further away from the main uh, points of this how long of can you generation. send?
0: How long can you send an electron? That's well, a good it? question.
1: Um, I mean, could you what? have could you
0: have an electricity station, generating station in Newcastle that sends power to Perth, for example, on a long wire?
1: Uh, pretty hard pretty hard. What, pretty would, what would happen doesn't along the, the
0: happen. way? <laughs> well, I, I know it doesn't. Well, why, why can't it happen? What would happen along the way?
1: Uh, well, uh, there are losses, I guess is the way to say it. And that's part of that 10% that I mentioned. That's a very general average number for, mm. for losses, but you can get higher. Let's say, let's put it another way. Uh, I know that in central Queensland, there are power stations somewhere on the coast. Uh, is an example, not far from the, the coast of Queensland. In central Queensland. And it probably can uh, get electrons in the distribution system out to about, or alpha, maybe close to Barkholden, for example. Right. But then another power, um, ge- um, there's a gas-fired generator uh, out around uh, Barkholden, Longreach area, which then adds a little bit more grunt to the system uh, in that area of central Queensland. Right. Uh, so it's, a, it's, it's not um, horses for courses. It also depends entirely upon the size of the um, generator, how much, you know, is it 400 megawatts, is it a, a gigawatt, that sort of stuff in terms of scale. So that also counts.
0: Mm. Okay. So the the juice leaves the power station at 500,000 yep. mm-hmm. volts. Yep. Of course, it travels out along the wires, mm-hmm. uh, loses a bit of humph on the way, does it, yep. and, gets, mm-hmm. and then it it gets to substations where it's, Correct. Ste- step, step down. it's That's stepped right. down. Mm-hmm. And eventually by the time it reaches your house, for example... Yeah. Uh, it's it stepped down to 240 volts.
1: That's right. A lot of step down. So it goes from, say, 500 kilovolts down to oh, 275, down to 115, 110, down to 66, then down to 33, then down to 11. Okay, so when you get down to about 33 or 11, I think they call that the distribution system. Uh, and then there's the transmission, which is at the higher voltage. Mm. It's a funny thing electricity is that when you
0: think about it, because I'm I'm thinking of other utilities like water, for example. Mm, yes. And mm. you think of water as this. Well, typically in Australia, there are giant storage reserves of water, and they're called yes. dams. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Sydney, there's War, you know there's uh, Warragamba, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean yeah. Brisbane, of course, has its own mm-hmm. dams, mm-hmm. Um, and, and the states do. But that means you can just keep drawing on the water while there's water in the dam. Yes, what, that's right. What, with electricity. Uh, how does that work because there's no well, dam of electricity is there
1: no there isn't and in fact that's part of the what i would say is uh, the older 20th century style science, sense of design that you deliver it and there's a sense of a, a level of storage in the whole network probably about representing 1% but you just simply generate it as you needed it okay so uh, so de- least...
0: so as demand comes on the network Yep. the supply at the at the turbine end cranks yep. up, does it?
1: That's correct. Yeah. So, and different types of uh, power generation can mm-hmm. crank up faster or slower than others. So, uh, that that is, and, and there's a multitude of different forms of those power generations around the country right. or within the NEM. But to keep it simple
0: important. for people, though, so yep. mm-hmm. if it's a hot day in Melbourne, for mm-hmm. example, uh, at the Latrobe generators, mm-hmm. they will suddenly notice, "Hello." Yeah. We have to spin faster because. Yeah, we... or, or, more,
1: or put more turbines in pl- in, into play. That's correct. Right. Uh, instead of 10% capacity, they're going up to 80 or 90% capacity. That's
0: okay, right. so it's a total mm-hmm. supply and demand equation. Yes,
1: yeah. And hence, there is um, a very different um, paradigm when one's talking about using renewable energy into the system. Yeah. Because that's a that's very not different... supply and demand, is it? No. That's right. <laughs> so it's, what it, it has to... to be supply, store, and demand. <laughs> yeah. basically.
0: So what happens? To, just, I'm probably getting a little off track, in terms of mm. the trajectory of this conversation, I want to get back to the grid in a moment. But just yeah. so to so we understand the system, then. Mm-hmm. So with all this, for example, uh, PV on roofs. For example, mm-hmm. I mean, nearly a third of Australian households have got PV now. Yeah. During the day, acquire. that's that's producing electricity. Yep. And that's feeding into the system. Yep. But you can't, you can't, they're not turbines, you can't make them go up and down. No, you can't. And so, in fact, this is so, part of the problem so, at the so moment. So, this the, is the old ex, system. Ex, yeah, explain that problem.
1: The old NEM that we have with our grid um, has has great difficulty in, in uh, handling that type of additional power coming because of the sun yeah. shining, for example, or the wind blowing. What happens to the juice then if it's not needed? Well, what, uh, if it's not needed. So, I'll take a large solar farm as an example. We know you know we have plenty of those in the country right now. Yeah. Many hundred megawatt type ones. Well what happens is they those solar farms are curtailed. In other words, the electrons are not allowed to go onto the grid if the grid can't handle it. Okay. And and that that becomes a bit of a problem for our investors they they're not making money. Uh, They've sunny,
0: got a sunny day, they're rubbing their hands together, but, <laughs> but actually no one's told them that actually on this sunny day no one's buying it.
1: Depending upon where you are and, and what the demand is in different parts of that grid, that's correct. Yeah. And then what happens is that uh, that just... Those electrons are not going to stop... Uh, sorry, the photovoltaics the are not going to stop uh, generating electrons because the sun's shining. They can't. Uh, so what happens is you get, get off a lot of heat, your waste heat. Yeah. So it's, it's not a good way to go, um, but this is simply because the uh, introduction of PV into our system in Australia has f- perhaps been a lot more rapid than our grid engineers had anticipated.
0: Yeah. But inherently, the way you're saying the grid is set up at the moment, it's not flexible enough.
1: That's correct. To take, and, and to take all the standard. Standard. Talk, yeah, most this people, renewable. Yeah, so most people would agree.
0: It's, it's just not the case that if we had a massive uh, rebuilding of solar capacity at the moment, that it's a solution to any problem because our grid could not handle that.
1: Generally speaking, that's correct. And hence, that's one of the reasons why there's a desire to increase the capacity of the grid to handle, in other words, use the existing infrastructure. Uh, Don't dismiss it completely or Mm. don't diss it, just actually add to it and improve that grid uh, so that we can handle the increased uh, levels of renewable energy that are expected to occur okay. over the next. It's interesting, 10 years. isn't
0: it? I know um, mm. oh, there are <laughs> these there are always it's always more complicated than you think. Professor mm. Ian McKinnon's with us. He's director of the Centre for Clean Energy Technologies and Practices at uh, Q U T, the Queensland University of, of Technology, for talking about the electricity grid and uh, the challenges that, that solar and renewable energy is pose for the grid we hear a lot about you know why aren't we putting more pv on roofs why aren't we building more solar farms why aren't we building more more um, more renewable energy capacity but Mm. we do talk a little about uh, the grid but probably not enough you say it's a conservative estimate that we need to increase the capacity of the grid by perhaps three times by 2035 and more than eight times by 2050 Mm. what does capacity of the grid mean well, the <laughs> capacity of the grid. Um, I mean, do you mean build, I mean, put up more wires or or
1: what? Well, well yeah, more generation. More generation of power uh, by predominantly renewable energy is expected by about the mid-2030s. That's mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. And it depends entirely upon what we want to use that power for, right? So so some people are quite anxious to use that power to generate um, low emissions uh, or zero emissions um, fuels such as hydrogen to use in um, transportation for example mm-hmm. uh, and they're looking to export that as well to other parts of the world because there are many other parts of the world that don't have the uh, natural resources and benefits that we have in Australia so that's one of the reasons for the increase in the grid capacity but generally speaking um, there are two things here um, You know, three fundamental um, things that keep all species alive on Earth, on our planet, energy, food and water. And it so happens that when we're concerned about emissions, now that we've had decades of measurement of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, we know how much are produced every year and we know that we need to reduce those on a regular basis for the next 10 to 20 years. It so happens that energy... um, is responsible for around or accounts for around about 70% of those greenhouse gas emissions when you take into account electricity, heat and transport. Yeah. And agriculture, a little little bit less than 20%. So these are the targets and, and so that's the drive towards electrification around the world. And that's one of the reasons why we are. Most c- countries are very rapidly moving towards a, a high electrification capacity in their in their systems. Now, mm. Not everything can be electrified, but the aim is to get a lot of that electrified. Mm. It's interesting. You would you would not necessarily know this, but there's something like 770 million people still worldwide with no access to electricity. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because we
0: think of it as so ubiquitous, don't we?
1: Yeah, and the pandemic affected another additional 90 million. Hmm. So there's still in that order of, you know, maybe a billion people by now um, that are still without electricity. Uh, and these are in less developed countries as uh, natural, uh, in, in most cases. But um, there, there will continue to be this drive towards electrification because it's essentially the way to go down and that's why we're going down the renewable energy path in general. Mm. Okay. Keeping in mind that renewable energy does include hydroelectric as well as yeah, other
0: Yeah. Things. So when you say that we need the, the grid to be eight times yep. bigger capacity mm-hmm. by twenty fifty, you mean that the grid is what, eight times bigger? Or eight times more extensive? Or the wires or, are thicker? Or I the wires know. are thicker? Are thicker. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, what I'm trying good, to get to. What, what, actually, is that? what does that mean?
1: Well, it does mean, for example, duplication of transmission lines, for example, in in, in those highly um, energy-intense regions. So if you want to put more energy down to, uh, to, to Portland, down, down in Victoria, uh, you might have to add another 500-kilovolt line which takes up another 160 metres of access space and is 80 metres high, that mm. type of thing, if you're doing it as an overhead cable.
0: Mm, okay. See, w- w- I mean, we're getting a few texts saying, well, hang on, uh, Tyler from Potts Point says, is this? So, uh, and maybe we'll get to this point in a moment, but he says, why don't we just put a lot of, put, put more batteries in to store all the power that's being yeah. wasted?
1: Indeed, and, and, that, and that, that is a solution, isn't it? That? that is correct, and, and that is happening. Uh, and we're also the other one. So there's two types of storage of that form that you're thinking of here, and one of them is is batteries, which is generally seen as a, a four to eight hour storage uh, period, right, for electrons. Um, and the other one is uh, what's called deeper storage, such as pumped hydro, and right. that can range from eight, 8 hours to 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours, depends how you design it.
0: And w- when we say sto- pumped hydro storage, what we really mean is that it's just a means of generating electricity.
1: Correct. That's it. right. Yeah, the yeah. water going through the turbines just as it does in a hydroelectric. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, just just hydro it to it's just hydro power. It's just hydro power. That's all. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah, yeah. Correct.
0: Okay. So realistically, uh, for a, you know a grid like Australia, can we can batteries? How I, I'm every time I look at this, I, I, I you know see extremely short times that batteries actually could supply and keep things going. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah.
1: So it's one of the solutions. It's, it's, so there's no one uh, single bit of technology that's going to get us to that point in 2035 or 2040 when we've got a fully renewable energy grid, for example, uh, which is a, a high probability. Hmm. Um, so batteries will, uh, again, uh, there's regional-scale batteries, there's household batteries, and, and each of these will play their respective parts in storing enough energy for that, for example, the local neighbourhood or or a, um, a large uh, town like um, or city like Sydney, but
0: or, to keep a, a, a town like well a city like Sydney going, oh, yeah, you, can't of, you can't do that. You, you, you yeah, can't do that. Right. You, you can't. do that off a of battery, can you? No. <laughs> Pretty hard.
1: No, that's right. You're going to you're going to have to have a combination of that supply on demand, yeah. as as we currently have, but then storage as we need it. For example, so there's a lot of planning to be done and and systems planning mm. to think how th- through all of those types of uh, components that make for the generation the distribution and the, and the distribution of storage and then the use of those electrons.
0: 1300 mm. 800 It's It's a fascinating topic, isn't it? Professor Ian McKinnon's with us, Director of the Centre for Clean Energy Technologies at Queensland's University of Technology. Paul from Townsville. Hi, Paul. G'day, Paul. Good evening, Philip and uh, Professor. Yes. Your question, Paul. Listen, there was a... Um
1: there's a, been a topic in the news um, in the recent months where there was a renewable, supposed um, uh, energy system in the Northern Territory where they were going to actually provide power to Singapore. Oh, the sun, yeah, the sun, cable. The,
0: the sun cable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. sun cable. And apparently, the two
1: major um, investors have had a bit of a falling out and whatever, but. What I'm interested in is, well, we're talking about a 10% loss over, you know, X amount of distance. How does the renewables um, work in providing something all the way to Singapore? Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah. um, So two things, um, and without getting into too much complication, and I can't because I'm a scientist, not an engineer. Mm. uh, (laughs) uh, The the Sun Cable exercise. Large amount of PV uh, that um, the electrons produced by photovoltaics is generally generated and produced in a DC mode, and in that particular case, they are putting a high voltage DC cable, or they plan to put a high voltage DC cable, all the way to Singapore. So that can be done, uh, and um, with you know overhead power lines and so on. Um, going to the superconductor world, uh, one wouldn't necessarily. Um, advocate using superconductors for that full, whatever it is, 7,000 kilometers from the middle of Northern Territory to Singapore. But one would advocate using superconductors where there are particular um, uh, locations where um, safety might be an issue, that is, or sorry, uh, climate issues might be uh, dominant. You don't want uh, those power lines or those uh, large towers to be falling over at the wrong time which has happened in Victoria um, in 2021. So there's there's places where you would put superconductors in order to effect rapid transfer of electrons or higher level of power to a particular part of that um, that line going to Singapore.
0: We did a, an interview about it not so long ago, actually, about the Sun Table hmm. project. It is at the limits of... Available technology that that project, I think uh, most people seem to agree. Yeah, it's an ambitious project, that's for sure. And uh, but mm. there's no reason theoretically why why it could not be done. But there we yeah, are. Right. Well, I'll talk about superconductors in a moment. But mm. the federal government's pledged something like twenty billion dollars to make the grid ready for for clean energy. I mean, the federal government yeah. hasn't has talked about it, yep. and they say, you know, we will we'll include we want ten thousand kilometres of new transmission lines. Yeah. But you say this is a poor investment and a missed opportunity. Why? Didn't exactly say poor, Philip.
1: I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, it is... Uh, oh, maybe not am characterising necessarily... <laughs> you <characterizing> your... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's perhaps unwise to just use last century's technology in all of these, uh, in that straight-up, yes, roll-out 10,000 kilometres of cable, hmm. when one needs to think about the fact that uh, in other parts of the world, cables that are superconductors that have no resistance and have many other benefits for a grid... Um, being rolled out in, and have been for the past 20 years in, in either congested uh, areas, urban areas, for example, or in cities like Chicago and New York, um, as well as over long distances for other particular purposes, say upwards of uh, 50 to 100 kilometres.
0: Mm. Tell us about superconductors. What are they? You, 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 you watch, essentially what you're saying is that we need to invest in these and that stringing wires on poles is, is yesterday's.
1: It, it's still it's still valid, but there are when you've got issues of congestion. Now, uh, the power engineers talk about uh, the grid's a bit congested here, or there's a there's a, a pinch point uh, somewhere between, say, uh, Brisbane and Gladstone in the power network. Right? Mm. And so you can you can you can, in a sense, your analogy to water is somewhat similar. If you if you've got a way to actually rapidly move that energy from one point to another, and that's what superconductors can do for you. Um, with with minimal uh, losses, uh, then you're improving the efficiency of the grid. Uh, that's the first thing. And the difference between a conductor and a, and a superconductor is, is fairly straightforward. Um, metals, copper, aluminium, they're conductors. And we know that uh, even when we reduce the temperature just a little bit, they'll still have resistance all the way down to zero degrees Kelvin. That is uh, basically really, really cold. Mm-hmm. Um, superconductors uh, will be... Um, they can be a, a metal-like behavior up to a certain point. Uh, so, at room temperature, they may not um, uh, conduct electrons with any different to copper. But then when they get below a certain temperature, they the resistance goes to absolute zero. So, V equals IR, essentially... R equals zero in that equation. Well,
0: what materials are we talking about here?
1: Oh, there's quite a lot now. There there are only about six or eight that are used commercially at this point in time, but uh, the first lot was invented or discovered, sorry, in 1911. So there's, there's at least 500 compounds now that superconduct. There's at least, of those 500, they're classified into three different types. One that we know very well what the theory should be, Two, the second group, we don't really know what it is, and the third one, we're just guessing. So in other words... <laughs> <laughs> Give us an example, though. What, what, what's an example of a material
0: that's a super- oh, Okay,
1: um, yeah, good materials um, uh, include, for example, um, uh, an interesting metallic material called uh, magnesium diboride. It's, uh, it's a, just a combination of two elements, magnesium and boron. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's one type. It superconducts at about 40 degrees Kelvin. The other ones, um, the ones at the higher temperatures are a bit more complex in their chemistry, and these are more like ceramics, so they have a slightly different physical property uh, in terms of, you know, they're brittle and so on. Right. Um, But that would contain elements like yttrium, barium, copper, and oxygen in very specific ratio. Um, And there are others that uh, would have bismuth, copper, calcium, and, and oxygen. So
0: these are in cable form, are they?
1: Yes, they're in cable form and they're being used in uh, in the northern hemisphere certainly. Right. And in, so in essentially
0: most... when you put electricity into one end of these superconducting cables, you yep. don't you lose you lose nothing by the time it comes
1: out the other. In terms end. of electrons, that's correct and in terms of heat that's correct as well. Right. That's
0: right. Except yep. there's one there's one slight dra- slight negative here, aren't there? they have yeah, to, they have to be kept kept that's at right. something like minus 200 degrees Celsius. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and in, in, uh, that's correct. Now, the, the how interesting thing—how
0: do, do you do that over hundreds of kilometres? Yes,
1: yeah, so there are two things here. One of them is that um, the 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 shorter the distances, so up to about a kilometre, maybe five kilometres, um, you can basically do close circuit cooling. So you just put liquid nitrogen in a, outside wrapping around the cable or inside the cable, and you keep the thing cool at that temperature. The um, the superconducting material and that's fine. And because you can circulate uh, liquid nitrogen or liquid helium even, we've been doing this for, for decades, um, both commercially, industrially. And that allows a cable like that to operate quite well and the fluctuation in temperature from one end of the cable to the other would be not much more than a Kelvin. That is roughly one degree centigrade.
0: Right.
1: However, the longer ones, a bit more of a challenge. And yes, once you get over about five um, kilometres, you probably need to put another compression stage in to keep that coolant going all the way through at that at the right temperature, okay, but there are new technologies coming along very interesting companies uh, over in the u s are now working on ways to do this in what they call an open system where it 's not closed you 're not circulating but you 're finding a very clever way to keep that temperature very low and so they're ex- estimating they can um, put cables out that are a hundred to five hundred kilometers now that that's you know, you've got to have a pretty good reason for doing 500 kilometres of <laughs> <And> i I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking
0: that the relative cost of a copper wire versus a superconductor cable is an element of many hundreds. <laughs> is it or not?
1: In, in terms of relative cost, yes. Yeah. However, the difference is, is also uh, important to understand. Um, a um, 275 kV transmission line usually usually carries about an average current of... One to three amps per mm-hmm. square millimeter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so keep that in number in mind. One to three. A the highest um, performance of current in a magnesium diboride superconductor is about a million times more than that. Okay. So you so you you're so moving yes, much more juice. Yeah, a heck of a lot more juice. And even if you, for safety factors and all those sorts of reasons, you say we'll only do hundred to two hundred times more than a copper wire then you're actually getting close to parity in terms of the cost-to-performance or the cost-benefit ratio. So, and that's, that's why suburban actors are starting to be used in very explicit locations, such as in um, the one in Germany that I mentioned in, uh, a while back uh, mm. in Essen and also in Chicago and places like that.
0: Okay, we're talking about the future of the grid, the electricity mm. grid with Professor Ian McKinnon. Darren from Woodvale. Hello, Darren.
1: Yeah, hi, gentlemen. Uh, My question was, yeah, my question was, um, I heard maybe on this radio station
0: a few weeks ago they were saying that one charge of a car is equal to about twenty air conditioners being turned on. So, if that's the case, I'm thinking, with thousands of EVs coming online every month, Mm. are we are we going to actually cope in let's say eighteen months or two years? Or would they end up putting some kind of restriction on charging your vehicle and maybe like a watering day is your day and your charging day is your day? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Similar to that. No, no, I got you. No, well, it's a, it's a, it's a point. What you, Ian, what do we think about that?
1: Well, that is uh, a matter of um, actual implementation and concern in other uh, other countries, less so in Australia at the moment but right. that is correct but uh, in that, theory that is correct, isn't it? yeah, that's right yeah, yeah. Um, and so what there are some uh, groups that, and uh, corporations that are now looking at um, uh, for example, using your vehicle um, in your household. As a, as a storage of, you know, you've got a battery in that vehicle and mm-hmm. so you use that as a storage of electrons as well. So there's a couple of, di- th- this opens up a whole range of different ways of thinking about energy, energy generation, distribution and storage that haven't really been part of the, the conversation for a long, long time. So yeah, the the comment uh, made by your listener is is yeah.
0: pretty close. Absolutely right, absolutely mm. right, Darren. Yes, mm. uh, all right. You say at the moment that Australia is probably not in that situation. There, here's a here's a kind of a conceptual question, I suppose, Ian, and that is, the grid is built a bit like you know the a, wa- a water utilities designed on the basis of you know you collect everything in a central point and then yeah, then throw then, it out, then throw yeah. it out, and mm. the, the electricity system is pretty much the same are we, in fact, do we need to have to rethink the entire grid so that we think it's not like that anymore, it's going to be much more decentralised? And so it is. we're going to have to think about neighbourhood grids rather than statewide grids, for example. Yes, indeed,
1: that's right. And indeed, even in the more conservative elements of our power industry, um, the 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 market operator AEMO actually mm. already uh, has this in their what they call their uh, their annual plans that they put out indicating that yes indeed we will become much more decentralized within the grid over the next um 10 to 15 years how That's would sure. that
0: how would that look so so for, just give us an example so you would have what some suburbs of Brisbane for example mm. would have uh their own network based on PV and what else
1: well um as i said before Uh, It wouldn't be wind power because you can't put um, a lot of turbines in the middle of George Street. So one of the things that's rather critical here is that most of the renewable energy when when we're thinking about solar and wind and including pumped hydro is is going to be in general 80 or 90% of the time in the regions. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason for the increase of grid capacity because at the moment many of those regions are not well connected into the grid. So that's also the other reason for this uh, rewiring the nation concept. uh, That is, uh aha, where those uh, large solar farms or wind farms are, for example, Mm. uh, we heard just a couple of days back about the copper string project going out to Mount Isa. You know, Mount Isa is not on the grid at this point in time. It has its own separate network. But um, the idea there is that that's part of that build of a network that's a bit further out and more... Uh, more capable for our our country regions.
0: Professor Ian McKinnon's with us from the Queensland University of Technology. We're talking about the the grid and how it's going to look. If you've got questions, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Jackson Humpty Good day, Jack. Oh, good day, Phil. How you going? Not bad, mate. Oh, got two dumb questions for the professor. No questions are dumb. Go on. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that's what I reckon too. If the voltage was different, like we're 240 volts, yep. and the, Yanks, the Americans are um, 112. Does that make a difference, any difference? And I've got one more dumb question. Could you put DC through the existing
1: network? Yeah, both are very good questions and I'm glad you raised it (laughs) Um, because it's uh, a matter that's rather important. So I mentioned before that, uh, like in Victoria, most common high-voltage cable is around about 500 kilovolts. Um, The thing about superconductor cables is that, uh, and there's good examples of this around the world, instead of operating at 500 kilovolts, you could operate at 50 kilovolts Mm -hmm. and generate... Because you've got so much more current in the wire... You can deliver 10 or 100 times more power to a particular location from point A to point B. Yep. And as a result of that, all of the peripherals associated with being at 500 kilovolts versus 50 kilovolts don't have to be there. In other words, you could get rid of half of your substations, the step downs. We remember we talked about this, 500 mm-hmm. kilovolts down to 330, sorry, 275 and so on. So you could probably go you could probably avoid quite a few of those uh, substations and and, uh, transformers, etc., in the network. That's a massive cost. So, as I said earlier, there is potential for parity here, not only in the performance of the cable itself, but also in the ancillary equipment that needs to be used for safety purposes and for actual just moving the electrons at the right voltage or current. And the DC question? Oh, yeah, Sorry, the DC... Thank you. DC question. Uh, absolutely. Uh, there is good reason. There are um, some... Lo- so DC cables uh, or DC substations are quite often put in place in the distribution network around the country. For example, uh, smelters often need DC direct to their operation. So what happens is you take a transmission line, uh, all in AC, you put it into a substation, convert it to DC, and then you pop it into the the smelter. So there are many instances where you could actually remove the um, the the inverter problem, right? Um, uh, for example, the, P, the the electrons generated on our rooftops are generated in DC, and yet we put an inverter in place in order to convert that to AC, and there's a big again another loss of efficiency.
0: Mm. Well. Thank you so much, and I'm glad there weren't dumb questions. <laughs> uh, bloody good questions! <laughs> <laughs> On your jack, okay. On your jack, one three hundred, eight hundred triple two. So, um, well, I suppose the obvious question here Ian is why? Why, given the benefits of superconductors, are we not installing them? Why are we not doing them? Uh, don't know. Um, I mean, I'd... are they used overseas? This is this yes. is a ready to go technology, is it?
1: Uh, yeah there are companies now that are uh, basically say just tell us what you want we'll give you a quote and if you like it go yeah. basically yeah. Um, and but we already do use superconductors in our in our society in Australia um, the magnetic resonance imaging um, instruments uh, equipment that's in hospitals all around the country use superconductors to generate those magnetic fields uh, that's one good example uh, a lot of scientific instruments use um, superconductors such as um, nuclear magnetic resonance instruments and things of that sort. Hmm. Hmm. Why our power engineering hasn't uh, accommodated these ideas, uh, I don't know. Um, again, um, that would be a good question for Richard, who is my colleague on that article and uh, is the power engineer. Hmm.
0: Yeah, we're, we're talking about a gigantic investment, aren't we? When, when we? when we talk about increasing the capacity of the grid by three or eight times...
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do we, I,
0: does this country have the resources to do, even do that?
1: Well it's a good question. I think there'll be a lot of investors very interested in this from other parts of the of the world, um, as they're very interested in other forms of um, energy storage or, or utilization. Um, uh, I think the 20 billion set aside for rewiring the nation is really a, a good estimate, hoping that there'll be a little bit more coming in from other places. It'll it is it will be expensive. That's correct.
0: Mm. But does any of this twenty billion is any of this twenty billion involved with or, or earmarked for superconductors, for example?
1: Oh, I doubt it. I, um, I, I don't. Um, I doubt it at this point in time. Part of the reason for having these conversations is to try and get some interest in that. Uh, let me give you a bit of a comparison. though. Mm. Uh, the NBN was um, touted at the time. I think it cost about forty billion. I think it's it, about right it,
0: it did yes. It, yes it ended up I think it ended up costing about forty to fifty billion that's right
1: yeah, and um you know um energy is actually the core tool for uh, communications, so you'd think that you'd want to get the energy side of our country correct mm.
0: Yeah, the technologies that we know about at the moment, superconductors. I know there's been a lot of, no, that there's huge investment in research into into more efficient, more capable batteries. Yep. Uh, are there technologies that are on the horizon, maybe not available yet, which might change the the game of of storage and make it much more <coughs> much more a, a, a part of the network? I mean, people talk about capacitors and so on. Yep.
1: Yep. So yeah, uh, there, in the battery world, yes, there's uh, substantial um, drive down a, even higher energy densities than what you can get from a lithium battery, for example. Mm. And and that's within that's on that's on certainly on the horizon within the uh, level of uh, you know TRLs seven eight nine TRL being technology readiness level. When you get up to about seven eight nine, you're really starting to talk systems, and you're talking to commercial people about well how do I commodify this or, or monetize it? Mm. So it's, it's, they're not too far off. Um, and probably the increase in energy density will be modest, maybe two, two times, perhaps three times uh, in this next round. So that's one step. And not all of those um, higher energy density batteries will be Lithium-based, either there'll be other types. That's that true, isn't it? Through.
0: I mean, the That's lithium right, battery yeah. is the best we have at the moment. That's but correct. there's a lot of talk <laughs> about. The, I mean, there are there are many other batteries in, coming at it, aren't they? Or <laughs> but, well, yeah. Well, we'll yeah, yeah. I mean, we've some... had
1: different types of batteries for for yonks. I mean, uh, hmm. they've been around for a long time, and many of them are single-purpose, and some of them are not necessarily rechargeable. So, um, but and lithium has been uh, quite a breakthrough in terms of its its relative energy density, say, compared to. Uh, you know, lead acid battery, mm. for example. Yeah, mm.
0: that's right. There's a lot of talk about whether there's enough lithium in the world. That that question may answer itself because we may yes. not even need all the lithium. Correct. Uh, mm. When uh, mm. there's a lot of talk, that you read about solid state batteries. What are th- what are they?
1: Yeah, so that's that's where that's that battery world is going. So it's using a, a basically um, uh, at the moment the ele- electrolyte in the battery is generally a, a liquid form or some. Um, not solid form, mm-hmm. um, and the intent is to go to um, the solid um, forms of batteries, such as even lithium itself is is a very good um, conductor of, of ions and of electrons. So that's ultimately where the first step of increased energy density is likely to come from. Um, uh, and that will probably be with lithium, but then there may be other elements that would be equally capable of doing that with less of the risk associated with them.
0: Yeah, How far away do you think these battery technologies are?
1: Ah, uh, gosh. <laughs> I'll use the standard scientific response. Um, <laughs> uh, five years. <laughs> Look, I don't know. Um, so I, think, I think there are certainly... Um, the the next generation beyond what is currently used in e vehicles right now at mass production stage, is probably not much more than that away. It could even be sooner. Mm. But you know that the uptake is often the question. It, you know they might be out there commercially, but it might take a while for them to actually take off in the market.
0: One three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number. You can text me and zero questions on zero four six seven nine double two. 7 Tom says, how do we get politicians up to speed or do we need to rely on business so that proper planning can be done? Uh, Yes, Uh, Jamie from Diamond Creek. G'day, Jamie. Yeah, how you going? Not bad. Here's my question. Mm. Um, You say that superconductors have got to be um, really cold to work, um, but um, the electricity cables that we normally use now emit heat. If we re- if we replace all of the um electricity cables with superconductors would that help in cooling the world down?
1: Oh, um Is there cable in terms there of can... in terms of reducing uh emissions or being more efficient, it 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 might it might help, yes. Uh, but you'd have to have that happening for a lot of the networks around the world. Uh tricky to do. Yeah. Um, indeed, um, even some high-voltage cables are cooled uh, in some circumstances, so uh, that's not the hard part. One of the things that we haven't mentioned so far is that I think also we need to be starting to think about putting our cables, whether they be your conventional copper ones mm. or your superconducting ones, underground.
0: Yep. There was a push on for this some years Mm -hmm. ago, wasn't there? Some new suburbs and some cities, uh, large parts of the ACT have got them underground, I know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some new... Sub, uh, subdivisions you see the, That's right. there's underground mm-hmm. cabling mm. but there's not been much attempt to retrofit this, has there? Would, yeah, would, or would even they... on
1: the current cable the high voltage cable, the transmission cables the ones with the big towers yeah. uh, there's not been much uh, We look
0: in inherently that. when you look at them, they look yesterday's technology don't they? <laughs> yeah, They do uh, yeah. I mean, you, mm. think, I mean you, you think I don't know, even as a <laughs> layperson you think surely it would be more efficient and cheaper in the long run to put them underground
1: yeah, I think there is a significant... Uh, what the, the trade-off is often not thought of in terms of all of those other um, parameters, so it's often just an economic decision. Uh, it's cheaper, that I can do it overhead, no trouble, I've got my helicopter working or whatever. Um, but if you go underground, there are a lot of other benefits that a community might like, which is there's a substantially reduced risk of supply interruption because you don't have extreme events affecting an underground cable anywhere near as much as you would have an overhead cable. Mm. The the, uh, the Western Victoria uh, outage in um, Morrible area was um, six towers went down roughly and that not only affected the immediate region but also South Australia and hence South Australia was very lucky. It had its battery installed that allowed some of the uh, the power system in South Australia to operate during that crisis, mm. so so these knock on effects are not often uh, incorporated in the what you 'd call the fundamental planning for a network or for a, a new transmission line. Mm.
0: Yep. All right. Uh, we're getting quite a few questions. Well, sorry, some questions about nuclear power. We usually do when we discuss these issues. Mm-hmm. The short answer yeah. on that is that nuclear power is the most expensive means of generating electricity at the moment, isn't it? So therefore that's why it's not really considered. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm not the best expert on that, um, to give you a full answer, but um, if... It's yeah. most likely the case. The issue is also construction time and how long it it's takes the,
0: to get approval. It's the cost of it and the time Correct. it takes to build them and then the cost of the electricity they produce. And on all yeah. of those equations, they don't really add up. Mm. Uh, yeah. now, um, John from Bendigo. Hello, John.
1: I'm just wondering now, uh, when the, um, you've got a big solar farm yeah. and you've got the storage batteries, and when the juice drops off, how long can the battery supply the juice back into the system or back into the town?
0: Yeah, we did, yeah we talked about this a yeah. bit, but go on again. Uh, yes, go on again, yeah. Ian.
1: Yeah. Uh, depends entirely upon the size of the battery itself, but um, and often they, you know, it's it's megawatt hours. How many megawatts per hour, or how many hours? Right. So sometimes it's. Most people use a, a, a rule of thumb saying about four hours or so. Uh, but it does depend upon the demand. So if you're only using half of the battery that's storage that's there, it'll last longer. Obviously, so there's that sort of uh, ratio that needs to be thought through.
0: Cows and the juice dropped off, and the battery ran out. How do you go then?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: No, not too good, John, but the, you don't go too well either if there's a drop-off because one well, transmission tower falls over that's uh, right uh, as well mm. There'll always be problems although some in some senses people get security out of the grid because they think, well we're part of a big grid. you know if one bit of it goes down, then it'll, that'll be taken up by bits in the other parts of the grid. If you're talking about these, that the future it's, of us yes. going to be much more neighborhood. I mean Correct. are people going to be more isolated?
1: That is one benefit of being a bit more distributed in the, in the generation of, of power. It, mm. It's likely that you could, you could almost envision it to be a little bit like the internet, you know, where right. it, yeah. sometimes parts of it goes down and everyone's still able to work. Um, so it is possible that that could be the future for us. Um, tricky to be sure it'll work well, but one of the things we've been used to for so long is that the, the grid we've had has been quite secure. and been quite, you know, uh, reliable and people could turn it on. This is
0: the massive change, isn't it, Ian? Because we're talking Mm -hmm. about this, we're talking about a grid that took generations and generations to build. You know, Mm -hmm. generations of Australians through blood, sweat and tears and money have Mm. built this gigantic thing which works Mm. pretty well um, despite all the problems we've talked about. And we are are really, you know, the circumstances are are that we're going to have to... Start again and think of a new way to build it.
1: That's right. Yeah, and and that's part of that is 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 not decommissioning existing capability before you've got the other parts working well. I mean, you know, you, <laughs> that's mm. the the hard part and um, and difficult for one some states because their most of their power generation is in the private sector and in other states it's not. So um, that's part of the planning issues that we've, mm. we're having to deal with.
0: Do you know anything about iron flow batteries?
1: Yeah, um, yes. Got a few, um,
0: we're getting a few questions about these. Why aren't we using them? I don't know what they are.
1: Uh, so, uh, basically, the are uh, redox flow batteries or flow batteries. Mm. Uh, they're two fundamental types, um, both of which have been really well developed and, in, ca- in one case, invented in Australia, but uh, obviously now are uh, <laughs> made overseas and sold back to us. Common for many of our technologies. So one of them is uh, uses a, a, a zinc-bromine-type combination of uh, ions coming back and forth um, across your electrodes. Mm-hmm. And um, the other one uses vanadium. And the vanadium flow batteries basically work off the different um, oxidation states or, or charges on individual ions in a solution. And so vanadium can have two or three different types of charges on each of their individual ions in the inner solution, and that's exploited to allow electrons to pass from one electrode to another. Um, that's the simplest explanation I can provide. Hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is, it is, as you say. We are, we've been a great innovator in this country in many aspects of uh, oh, yeah. renewable energies we and have. battery technology. And, yep. um, it's the age-old problem in Australia that we... We're good at inventing things. We've got great scientists and great mm. creative individual minds and groundbreaking uh, discoverers. But of course, commercialising these things, as in the solar panel, We've,
1: we we did invent the world's most efficient solar panels here. But, yeah, uh, actually, uh, for for information for the listeners, uh, Martin Green just was and his colleagues were just were just recently um, um, awarded a, a very prestigious prize in the US for that invention yeah. and for that work. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yep, we don't make them here, uh, <laughs> and that's that a that great sadness for us all. Mm. All right, Ian, it's uh, it's, it's complicated, um, but look, it's a task we are going to have to take on because mm. if, we're to, uh, if we are to move to a renewable future, the well, grid, has got, the is grid has got to change.
1: Hmm. Yes, that's right. It's part of this reduction of emissions, right? So that's part of the, the story. Yeah,
0: um, exactly. Exactly. All right. It's been fascinating to to talk with you and have your expertise as well. I do thank you for it's your time. Thank you. All right. Bye. Uh, Professor Ian McKinnon is Director of the Centre for Clean Energy Technologies and Practices at the University of Technology. As I say, we weren't evading the nuclear question. It's just that we have discussed this many times. It's the lead times. It's the capital cost of building them. And it's the cost at which the electricity is then produced. And on all these numbers, it doesn't... They don't stack up against uh, renewable technologies is the short answer to to all of that.
1: You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.